0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, hour 2. Hello America, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this year's program. Glad to have you with me today. Uh, we have a significant topic that needs to be talked about that probably is not going to get a lot of attention uh nationally other than here. Well, uh, to some degree will let me explain. So there is a, um, movement we've talked about before, of people, a lot of them white nationalists who believe the United States is at the point of collapse and they wish to bring about that collapse. They are called accelerationists. There is a particular strain of people who have embraced a traditional Catholic theology. Uh, unfortunately, our government has done a very bad job of distinguishing all those who embrace Catholic, uh, traditional Catholic theology, including the Latin Mass, and has essentially said all of these people are accelerationists, which is not true. Uh, accelerationists are not inherently Catholic any more than they are inherently Protestant, but they are a thing. They are a thing that is mostly uh, among white nationalists of the alt-right. They're not really conservatives. They don't actually want to conserve much of anything, in fact. They want to destroy the country. And they believe that they can rebuild it in their image. They are accelerationists. There aren't a lot of them. I bring up accelerationists because it's hard to separate them from the next topic in large part because our national media is so invested in uh, the rise of uh, white nationalists in this country. Did you hear about the study, federal study that like all the major murders that have happened or whatnot were by white nationalists and uh, some flawed research out there that the left and the media have embraced? But one of the things that is actually true And again, it's very hard to nuance this conversation the way the media talks about it. But one of the things that actually is a thing in some segments of the community of the United States is these accelerationists have discovered that it's very easy to take out the power grid. All you do is go to some unsecure substation, fire bullets, hit the right thing and you've shut down part of the power grid. There is increasing belief this has happened in parts of California, Washington State, and in North Carolina. You know where that drag queen show was, and they, people thought that uh, the media's first reaction was, oh, these are people opposed to the drag queens taking out the power station. Actually, no, doesn't appear to be the case at all. It appears that it was completely unrelated. However, uh, they do suspect it might have been some of these accelerationist people. Could also be foreigners. It could be terrorists. Uh, one of the dangers of the media obsessing about these accelerationist types is that it is increasingly likely that Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, Cuba uh, wants to use hackers to take out our power grid. Our power grid uh, needs to be reinforced, and yet American woke policies from the liberal left, are actually breaking down our power grid. I bring up the accelerationists because we know that is a problem, although probably not as much of a problem as the media wants us to believe, as opposed to hackers and foreign terrorists who know our power grid is vulnerable. But on top of all of that, you got this from the Wall Street Journal. The warnings keep coming that the force-fed energy transition to renewable fuels is destabilizing the U.S. electric grid, but is anyone in government paying attention? Another SOS came Friday in an ominous report from PJM Interconnection, one of the nation's largest grid operators. The PJM report forecasts power supply and demand through 2030 across the 13 eastern states in its territory, covering 65 million people its top-line conclusion fossil fuel power plants are retiring much faster than renewable renewable sources are getting developed which could lead to energy imbalances that's a delicate way of saying you can expect shortages and blackouts PJM typically generates a surplus of power owing to its large fossil fuel fleet which it exports to neighboring grids in the midwest and northeast When wind power plunged in the Midwest and central states late last week, PJM helped fill the gap between supply and demand and kept the lights on. That's why it's especially worrying that PJM is predicting a large decline in its power reserves as coal and natural gas plants retire. The report forecasts that 40,000 megawatts of power generation, enough to light 30 million households, are at risk of retiring by 2030, representing about 21% of PJM's current generation capacity. Now we can stop there. We have talked about this on this program, you and I. I. When I say we, I don't mean me and the royal we. I mean you and me because a lot of you pay attention to this issue. I know because I have very smart listeners and you call in and you talk about it. We have known for a while this was coming south of me, south east of me. You head down I-16 from Macon, Georgia. You head towards the coast. You get to a road. It's called the Golden Isles Parkway. And it, it goes down as a short, non-interstate shortcut. Personally, I think they should turn it into a toll road. But it goes down the state from north, west to southeast, and if you follow it, you come to a massive field where cattle used to be raised, and now there are solar panels. It's the largest solar panel array in the southeast being built by Georgia Power. It is outside my windows today, very cloudy. The sun is not shining. I don't know how much power that thing could generate today, but there's a demand for power companies to supplement their uh, coal and natural gas plants with renewable energy solar and wind georgia power is building a nuclear power plant the only nuclear power plant construction project ongoing in the united states of america when there should be much more it kind of takes an anything and everything to get the power grid going situation uh, with them over in texas they deregulated to the point uh, and then overcompensated on wind and solar power that during that ice storm, they didn't have enough coal and natural gas and nuclear power plants to keep the power grid going. And then of course, there's the California situation. The California situation is going to become the American situation unless policymakers act. Here's the problem, we know what's coming. The left, when I say they, the left, the left in this country wants to end fossil fuel use. They have chosen to substitute for fossil fuels renewable energy that is dependent on the weather. When the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, you get zero power production. A windless night, you don't get any renewable energy from wind and solar you need the nuke plants, you need the coal plants, you need the natural gas plants. And the natural gas and the coal plants are going offline at such a rapid clip around the country, increasingly we are dependent on power sources that cannot produce power during certain times of the day on a regular basis. In fact, there are about 12 hours a day that solar panels don't do jack. 365 days a year, and yet that's a prevailing pattern. And then I think about that farm in southeast Georgia that is becoming this massive solar array. How many cattle have been taken out that will no longer be grazing in that field, how much of our food supply will be curtailed because of the demand in in farmland in the United States to put up solar panels? That's one of the other aspects of this that people don't like to talk about is that in a lot of cases, farmers are selling out to these companies to put solar panels on and then closing up their farms, which is reducing the food supply. It makes sense to put solar panels in a desert where nothing grows and you don't need water. And it makes no sense to take up productive farmland and turn it into a solar panel array, depriving us of... Uh, of the farm while also putting solar panels down in an area that gets lots of rain so there are going to be plenty of times it doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So much of our power generation in this country and what goes into it and the thought behind it does not make sense unless you understand it is a way to degrade our way of life. And that does seem to be the common thread in so much of what the left proposes when it comes to the environment, is to degrade our way of life. We have become too rich. We must become poorer. We have become too uh, consumerist. We have to spend less money. And the way to get us to spend less money is to cause prices to go up and cause incomes to go down. We have become too used to luxury. So we need to become used to the darkness. After all, we can't say there's a third world when our power grid functions like the third world. And that seems to be what they want. They want us not to be better than other nations. They want us not to have luxuries other nations don't have. They want us to be like those nations. And instead of bringing those nations up, they've decided to bring us down. It's kinda rudimentary socialism and communism in the power grid system. The problem here is that too many of our policy makers on the left aren't willing to acknowledge these things. This is back to the Wall Street Journal. Many states have established ambitious renewable goals and the Inflation Reduction Act lavishes enormous subsidies on wind, solar, and batteries but the report says the historic rate of completion for renewable projects has been approximately 5%, in part because of permitting challenges. In an optimistic case, the report estimates 21,000 megawatts of wind, solar, and battery storage capacity will be added to the grid by 2030, about half as much as the expected fossil fuel retirements. And there's another problem. Demand for electric power will increase amid the growth in data centers and the government's push for the electrification of vehicles, heating, and everything else. Loudoun County, Virginia, boasts the largest concentration of data centers in the world, the report notes. The report doesn't say this, but the conclusion is clear. The green energy transition is incompatible with a growing economy and improving living standards. Renewables don't provide reliable power 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and the progressive campaign to shut down coal and gas plants that, will, uh, that do will invariably result in outages. The left is fine with you living in the dark, so long as we save the planet. They're not interested at this point in saving you, or improving your life. They're interested in saving the planet and they've decided we can't do both. And the problem is that so many of the policymakers in Washington in the Biden administration are on the side of the left and therefore they're going to continue to degrade our energy capacities in this country. And this, by the way, is an issue for the GOP. This is an issue for whoever is the nominee in 2024. This is a campaign issue for them. They want to restrict your access to gas stoves. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Biden administration is going for, further with regulations against gas stoves. Never had a problem with gas stoves, and suddenly it's a problem. And then they told us no one was doing anything until they released the the uh, regulations. And now they're like, why do you have a problem with this? Saving your life. You're dying from your gas stove. They are degrading the quality of life of Americans. In the name of saving the planet and when the power keeps going out, they're going to tell us, well, it does this all over the world. And you and I will have to be loud enough to say, but not here. And a Republican candidate could probably make that his motto for 2024, but not here this far, no further. We've overcorrected too much someone needs to call the left out on this and is probably going to have to be the Republican presidential candidate because they're pushing it so far. We're getting reports from nonpartisan, nonpolitical entities saying the power is about to start going out around the country because of the policies of these people. We've gone too far. It's time to stop. So my kid has a queen-size bed. We've got a king-size bed. We got him bull and branch sheets and he's used them. He had like kid sheets and now he's Old enough, he doesn't want the the action figure sheets anymore. Well, we got lost because, I mean, the sheets look like our sheets, except they're queen-size sheets, and they got put in our closet, and the kid was in despair. We got him Bowling Branch sheets. They've gotten softer and softer, and he's like, where are my real sheets? He refused to sleep until we found the real sheets because they're that soft, they're that good. They're made with a 100% organic cotton thread. They get softer in every wash. You can stay cozy all winter long with a set of Bowling branch sheets they really are that good We have them on multiple beds in our house. My goodness my uh, seriously my kid uh, he's finally like my sheets are for kids I'm I'm grown up now and uh, it's just a, a step of quality above what he had and now he's like can't sleep without these sheets. They're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They're made without toxins. They're free of pesticides, formaldehyde, other chemicals. They fit the deepest mattress, too, which I love because we have a very thick mattress on our bed, and it fits. It doesn't, like, bunch up and then snap off in the middle of the night when you roll over. You can get 15% off your forced order, Bowling Branch Sheets, when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. Exclusions apply. See site for details. That's Boland Branch, B O L L A N D Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E R I C K. Welcome back. The full number, 877 973 7425. It's Eric Erickson here. Have you all been to San Francisco? Uh, so it's a gorgeous place. I had to speak at a uh, bar conference out there. A group of lawyers invited me to come talk. I'm I'm still a member of the bar. Uh, I hadn't practiced law in years. Um, I'm technically inactive. Can't give you legal advice. Sorry. Uh, But I I had to go to San Francisco and drive north. Had to go over the Oakland Bridge and through Oakland up into the Napa Valley area. But on the way back, I decided to, to detour and see the Golden Gate Bridge, and then I went down to Half Moon Bay, south of the city. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous place, ruined by its inhabitants. A friend of mine, who might be listening right now, used to send me pictures out of office window. He worked for a venture capital firm there. And he would always entitle them, Greetings from Behind the Iron Curtain. And there would be pictures of someone taking a dump on the street, people shooting up heroin. One point, it was people shooting at each other in the streets outside his office. Uh, it's just a, a third world hellhole in North America. The New York Times has a piece by Michael Moritz, uh, Moritz rather, um, who's a partner at Sequoia Capital, who's a huge liberal, who points out that San Francisco actually is failing. That he, as a progressive, acknowledges San Francisco is failing. And essentially, and the New York Times is telling progressives, hey, get your act together. Uh, Tucker Carlson is using San Francisco and cities like it to discredit progressives. And we can't have all these cities collapsing. Otherwise, people are going to believe him. Problem is, Tucker Carlson is right. And this guy has to acknowledge it. San Francisco is uh, blessed with a... Um, Byzantine Kafkaesque bureaucracy that makes getting anything done extremely difficult, particularly for small businesses, and it's lost most of its middle class. It's nice to see the left realizing they have a problem. It took Tucker Carlson for them to realize it. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 973 7425. If you want to be on the program, I, I, I want to switch gears from what I wanted to talk about. We'll get back into what I want to talk about here uh, momentarily. Not that you, I, I realize y'all don't care because I haven't even told you what I was going to talk about. But th- this is something I, I, I meant, to, meant to point out. There is a fight happening around the nation on the Republican side right now to advance school choice around the nation. Uh, whether it's it's uh, Georgia, my friend Greg Dozal in the state Senate advancing legislation, or uh, Iowa, Arizona, Texas is considering it, Oklahoma. Uh, Louisiana has already embraced it. Uh, Florida is kind of the role model for education choice reform thanks to, of all people, Jeb Bush when he was governor in Florida uh, in the early 2000s kind of was the gold standard. So one of the reasons Florida has moved to the right is because uh, very typically what happens is progressives in government give an entitlement to people. Republicans try to take it back and they get smacked by voters for trying to take back what uh, the other side has given them. And school choice is an entitlement. It is a conservative entitlement. Republicans say here, parent where I'm going to give you money and you take this money and give it to whichever school you want and send your kid there to get a good education. Democrats in Florida ran against Ron DeSantis saying they were going to roll back that program. And black moms and dads and Hispanic moms and dads voted for Ron DeSantis against Andrew Gillum and expanded the margin of vote in 2022. What was very interesting there, very much like uh, with Brian Kemp and Georgia in 2018, is that in 2018, Kemp and DeSantis were both perceived as Trump guys. And both explicitly ran got Trump's endorsement. And there was a segment of voters who did not like that. Uh, DeSantis only won by about 1,000 votes. Kemp did better than that, but it was very close. And uh, once voters got to see them as their own men, not Trump men, they were able to expand their margins pretty significantly. DeSantis by 20 points, picking up Miami Dade County. You'll recall Mike Lindell, the My Pillow Nutter, uh, actually believes that Ron DeSantis winning Miami Dade County and Palm Beach County are, are proof the election in Florida was stolen because Democrats uh, would never vote for DeSantis or some such. It was loony, loony stuff. DeSantis has been a big advocate of expanding Jeb Bush's education reforms in Florida. Uh, Kemp and the Georgia Republicans have not been as supportive of school choice in Georgia. I wish they were more so because as the state has shifted demographically, it continues to be an area where if they embraced real school choice in Georgia, they could lock in a generational shift for the GOP in the state. I, it just, it it's deeply frustrating to me as a resident of the state of Georgia that our Republican leaders have not been aggressively supporting school choice the way that they could with vouchers out of Texas. They're considering it and it just might pass. And so a group there called Pastors for Texas Children has sprung up. What is notable is that they claim as they do everything that actually vouchers are racist vouchers are racism vouchers they claim come from the desegregationist era they were originally called segregation vouchers they claim that after brown versus board of uh, education desegregated schools that uh, white leaders would give children vouchers, white kids, to get them out of public schools and pay for them to go to private schools. That's their claim without evidence. And in some cases, I I actually do believe it was probably true, but well overstated. What's so notable, however, is that this group, Pastors for Children, has tweeted this. Follow along with me. Pastors for Children in Texas is making this argument. Arguing vouchers benefit poor kids of color is ludicrous. Vouchers were invented for white kids to escape racial integration. 70 to 80% of applicants in Arizona, Hawaii, New Hampshire, already in private schools. Vouchers benefit affluent white kids, period. Let's follow along with this logic. Vouchers were invented for white kids to escape racial integration. Vouchers would not benefit poor kids of color. So because poor kids of color have not had the vouchers that benefited white kids, if they were given the vouchers that benefit white kids, they would not have benefit of the vouchers that they don't have now when they were given the vouchers. That, that's what they're saying essentially is that if you give a poor child of color, their phrase, poor kids of color, If you give a poor kid of color a school voucher they've never had before, uh, they would argue that they wouldn't benefit from them. Why? Because only white kids have had them in the past. This is an argument. It's just a deeply stupid argument from these people. Time and time again, and Florida is probably the best example of this. Florida is the gold standard for school choice. It is the one that other states should adopt. For example, in Florida, if your dad is a police officer, you the state is going to largely help cover the cost of your private school tuition if you want to go to a different if you want to go to a private school. It's a it's a system based on formula that based on income that benefits people. It's a it's a fundamentally sound program. It has benefited a number of people, and yet there's so much hesitancy among some Republicans to recognize this as a civil rights issue. There are some very good public schools in America. There are. There are also a lot of bad public schools in America. A lot of the bad public schools in America or in urban areas. And there is a big argument whether those schools are bad because of the social lives of the families that use those schools or because of the schools themselves. I mean, look, this is an argument I'm actually very sympathetic to. Just think about it. You've got a kid who comes to school The child is from a broken home where there is no father at home. The mother works multiple jobs, and there are gunshots going off in the night in the neighborhood and drive by shootings. And the child wakes up in the morning, mom is already gone, and he's responsible for getting his younger brothers and sisters. He's 13, and they're eight, six, and five. Got to get them ready to school. Got to get this is not an unknown thing. This happens in the United States of America. Is it any surprise that kid who's been up all night is hungry and already stressed out is not performing well in school? And is it fair to blame the teachers? I don't think it's fair to blame the teachers. My problem is that increasingly, A lot of these schools have given up trying to teach and instead just want to indoctrinate. you got the systemic racism, critical race theory stuff woven into the school program. You've got the DEI, transgender rights and advocacy stuff. You've got the pornographic books in the elementary school library to teach kids how to have sex who aren't even at the point of having the hormones enough to be able to do anything. You've got the woke teachers hoisting the rainbow flag in their classroom, trying to normalize things that deviate a lot from the parents' values, particularly in the black community. And it just becomes a feedback loop for failure. But in these situations, always in these situations, there's the child with the mom or the dad. Very often in these situations, it is the child who lives in the house where the mom and dad are together. And they're not well off. They can't afford the total cost of private tuition. But they could get out of that public school to a better life. Here's the cold, cruel part of the school choice argument that no one really wants to talk about. Not every kid will use a voucher because not every kid has a parent who really gives a damn. That's a cold, hard truth, but it's truth. We shouldn't dance around the fact. There are some people who won't because uh, they won't be able to afford the additional subsidy. Their parents may want them to, but they won't. But there are parents who will either use the subsidy to be able to put their kid in a private school or will get an additional job to be able to cover the additional cost of the private school, who will rescue their child from a public school to a private school. The reality is, the painful truth is, you can't fix every kid in a public failing school. You can't save them all. The left's solution, however, is that all of the kids should sink together. The right solution is we should recognize some of the kids are gifted kids who could be better served in a better school and we should help those kids. They will be productive future members of society if we help their parents get them out of the failing public school. And I am down with that. The idea that every kid must suffer is an idea of the left. It is a collectivist disaster playing out in real time across America in failing schools. I personally believe if we could, as a society, help one smart, gifted kid get out of a failing public school into a good private school, a safe place where during the day, he's not going to have to worry about gang violence in the school or kids beating each other up or discipline discipline problems. So he or she can focus on getting a good education and become a productive member of society, get a college scholarship and become the next great doctor, lawyer, scientist, something president of the United States. We should help that kid. And we Republicans, conservatives want to help them with a school choice program that the left tells us won't work because they've never had access to it before. Therefore, for it won't work, and how dare you allow some kids an escape from a public school? We should allow kids an escape. And it's deeply infuriating to me that the left says, well, they can escape if their parents are wealthy if their parents are wealthy we'll allow them out but if the parents are poor screw the kids that's the left's position on school choice the parents have to be able to afford it we can't use our tax dollars to help the parents get their kid out of the public school and that's why i think republicans should take on this issue in georgia and elsewhere where they've been hesitant to fight on this issue That's why I I commend Texas Republicans for taking up this issue. It is the civil rights issue of our day. Our public school systems are failing. And we are destroying the future of America in these failing schools. We will not be able to rescue all the kids. Some of them don't have parents who even care. But there are some who do care, who do not have the means, and we could give them the means, and we could save their kids, and their kids could become productive members of society. And these programs could attract other people to states to take advantage of them, to build up healthy, smart, educated workforces of people who rely on Republicans to protect and safeguard their education. And it will be Republicans who gave them this entitlement that Democrats, so entrapped in teachers' unions, are so against the parents— will keep voting Republican to preserve this program and lock in Republican dominance. That's another reason the left fights so hard on this is they know, they've seen in Florida and other states, just how likely it is Republicans will dominate at the ballot box if Republicans give parents school choice. Republicans, you know what to do. Do you have the courage to do it? That's the big issue. The other big issue is me needing to get you to go to edenpuredeals.com and get your Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3 pack. If you go edenpuredeals.com is the website. You can get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3 pack. What is it? It's an air purifier and it's filterless. You don't get a subscription for filters. It has an electrostatic plate that you wipe out on occasion and it will trap the pollen and the dust, the mildew in fact yesterday I noticed a tree was well the, the the tree did its impolite things and covered my car in yellow and it's starting to float my nose is starting to get stopped up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm comes out and sucks it all out of the house but where I really use it where it really shines is an odor elimination I blew cigar smoke into my car did not mean to it happened my car smelled like a cigar fired up the Eden Pure Thunderstorm with a USB cord in the car and guess what It got rid of the smoke odors because it eliminates odors very, very well. Pet odors, litter box odors, smoke odors, musty odors, it wipes them out. You can get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your RV, your travel bag, your basement. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code on the front page of the website, just my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. You'll get three of them for less than $200. EdenPureDeals.com. Discount code, Eric. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, First Liberty wants to help your business grow. If you reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan, tell them I sent you. But reach out for your business, not yourself, and for deals $750,000 and more. If you're buying a building, building a building, growing a franchise, buying a franchise, uh, buying out your business partner or the competition, they might be able to help get you to yes. They've been doing this since the early 90s and they make their own decisions. FirstLibertyGA.com. Now, if you are on the phones, I've only, well, I got about slightly over a minute, and I don't want to rush your phone calls. So be patient with me. I will start on your phone calls when we come back. Right now, uh, I just got to point out that there is another anti-Kamala Harris piece, and it's one that everyone needs to pay attention to. It's from Greg Craig. Do you recognize the name? Well, let me read you how the New York Times, where he's placed his Kamala Harris hit job, uh, it, it describes him. Mr. Craig is a lawyer who served in the White House under President Bill Clinton and was White House counsel for President Barack Obama. Kind of a big deal. And he doesn't want to go after Kamala Harris directly. Um, but he kinda has to go after Harris and what he actually suggests is this opening up the vice presidential nomination would give the democratic party a chance to test drive candidates of the future who does well in debates, who does well on the hustings who can get voters excited and galvanized. There will be those who see a decision to let Democratic voters pick Mr. Biden's running mate as a betrayal of Ms. Harris. That would be misreading the situation. Certainly he would be to express his views about various possible running mates. There is nothing disloyal about putting the vice president in a position in which she wins the slot and becomes a more and more proven and battle tested leader. That's it. They want to make the black woman campaign to keep her job. I mean, that's that's the that's the argument here. Let's let the black woman campaign to keep her job. That's not racist at all. <laughs> I can't believe the New York Times let this run. Um but there you have it. That that this is the argument. This is yet what, the fifth piece in three weeks about how bad Kamala Harris is? Uh, and this one takes the worst framing of all, like make, make, make her campaign to keep her job, uh, make, make her go through a job performance review in a debate process with the people who want her job. Wow. All right. When we come back, uh, I'll take some phone calls out of the gate. And then we need to talk about the road to 2024 for the GOP. The DeSantis frame, it's starting to like appear with a picture.